Good, good. Well, I just want to say thank you again. I think each week we, we, we thank our worship team. Thank you so much for, for leading us and, and, and worship and praise to our God and Savior. Oh, thank, thank you to you as a congregation, your faithfulness. <clears throat> you have been here. You have been involved. Uh, nothing has changed since Pastor Tim has stepped away for a little while, and we look forward to his return. So I appreciate and want to say thank you from our leadership uh, for, for your faithfulness and, and for being committed. I know for you, it must feel like a little bit sometimes like church is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get each week. But so far, hopefully, it has been good chocolate. You haven't bitten into that one that you said, oh, uh, what do we do with that? You know, after Craig came out last week with his garb on, I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get one of those inflatable dinosaur costumes. I'm going to come out here. Wah, wah. <laughs> a better part of me thought about that and said, no, we're not going to do that. So I, I did not do that. So again, thank you so much again for being here. We look forward uh, to what God's word has to say to us this morning. But as we get started, I want to get uh, a couple of questions uh, before you and on your heart and in your mind. We're not going to really go through and necessarily answer these right now. But I'd like you to write these down and think about it. And here's the, here are the questions. Number one is this, scripture. Is it a book that tells us what to do or how to live? Very carefully, I do want to say yes, scripture does have a lot that tells us what to do. It does have a lot of commands. It has indicatives, if you, if you will. All right, It has things that says you should and you shouldn't. All right, but, but I want us to really think about that. Is it really about telling us exactly what to do or, or how to live? And then I want us to think about this question as well. What really is the difference between these, these two concepts? What to do and how to live. I think many of us would agree that our culture wants to identify us by what we do. I right, think about this. When you meet someone new, okay, you go and you ask them their name and then you ask what? Go ahead. What do you do? Hey, what does that mean? Um, your job, right? Or maybe your hobbies, or maybe you're retired. What, you, well, what, what are things that you enjoy spending? We, we, we define ourselves, and we, we look and kind of even size up one another by what, what we do. And describe our work. We, it may be some of our extended hobbies. How about this? Think back to when you were in high school. All right, some have to think back further than others. I'm getting further and further away each and every day, uh, past the two-decade spot. But we, we think, think about the, you know, when we talk about coming back from our summers, what do we always ask? What did you do, right? Where did you go? And you always, everybody, you know, well, I went to Disney World. I went to Knoebel. Yeah, yeah. It, it was all about what, what, did, what did you do? What, what kind of experiences did you have? And we kind of measure and gauge our, our, our life on uh, th those different things. Now, can anyone think about uh, a, a time where maybe that kind of gets flipped? Where no longer is it, about what someone does, but how they lived. There's a spot, and we'll, we'll all get here eventually, given some hints here. We get to a certain spot. Have you never, ever noticed that at a funeral, you may talk about someone's job, or you may talk about a little bit about what they did, but, but what is it usually, how is a person usually described? Boy, they were 
a kind person. She was so loving. You know, he was such a hard worker. You could, you could really trust it. You knew he cared. It, it, suddenly it flips, doesn't it? It's not all about what that person did, but, but all of a sudden it becomes how that person lived. Why, why do you think that is? And why, why is it that we have such, when, when people are living, we have such a focus on what someone does, or even what we do, we, we get, I, I get caught up in that. What, what am I doing? Uh, to, 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 it can be a very unhealthy in a way. To, of, of what I do defines me, and we lose sight of, of how we're supposed to live. Suddenly at that point, in, in a funeral or in that type of situation, or memorial service, we're able to understand that what a person did really flowed out of who they were, which affected how they lived. Or, or what they did with their life. And at that point, it's no longer the actions that are important to us, but the character of the person that is to be admired. Now, when, when I ask this about you know, what to do versus how to live, how many understand that you can kind of manufacture actions, you can, you can make yourself do stuff, you can be duty-driven, you can do it, and to a point, there's good character in that. Okay, uh, I'm out there pushing my lawnmower around. It's not because I really want to, in fact, I need to do it one more time, and I'm still procrastinating and not doing that. Uh, so uh, we can do things even though we don't really want to. It doesn't flow out of our heart. It's just kind of like, that's got to be done. All right, I, I don't sit around on Saturday. I've, I've got four kids, which means our, lunch, our, our, our washing machine never stops running. Uh, okay, it just goes. It, it runs on its own at night sometimes. It's like, what's going on? It's like, I'm supposed to be washing something, uh, I'm sure. Uh, but I, I don't come home and start folding laundry because that is what I am looking for. I cannot wait to clock out today because I got six loads of laundry. Yes, okay. Sometimes we do things because we just we have to. And, and like I said, sometimes there's some character involved in, in, in getting those things done. But how about in a relationship aspect? Okay? You just do things because... How, how well does that work out? Hey guys, here, let me give you an experiment this week. I want you to go and, um, on just a random day this week, just walk in and go, okay, honey, here are your flowers. Check. Here's a box of chocolates. Check. Let me read you this poem I downloaded from Google. Uh, The actions are there. You're doing everything right, huh? But what's missing? It's not flowing out of who you are. It's not flowing out of the way that you live. And our Christian life can get that way in so many ways. And in this passage that we're going to go in today, we're going to look at it, and it has, yes, a list of things that we need to do. It has, yes... Uh, uh, specific commands. This is what things need to look like. But we've got to be careful that we don't grab this passage, lift it up out of its context, and say, just do these things, check these off, and everything is going to be okay. Because that's not going to work. If we get involved into a life like that, especially a spiritual life like that, I can guarantee you this. It may be okay for a while. You may be able to manufacture and hold things together for a while. You, you might be able to keep everyone fooled on the outside for a while. But eventually, 
because it has no foundation, it's eventually going to crumble. And I can guarantee you that living that way is a surefire way to live an empty, powerless, and unfulfilling life. What if we took the time to look past what we are doing and look deeply into how we are living? What, why are we doing what we're doing? Think about this morning. Here's the main idea that I want us to, to look at and think about in, in our, our passage this morning. We have to look at Scripture not through the lens of what to do, but through the lens of how to live. We have to look at Scripture, not through the lens of what to do, but through the lens of how to live. There's a risk of taking our passage here this morning. We're in Colossians 3, verse number 18. We'll start there later. But there's a risk of taking this passage and just telling everyone, just do this and everything will be okay. But there's an incredible danger in doing that. How many understand that sometimes in your spiritual walk, we want things to be A plus B will guarantee C. But how many times have we gone and done A plus B? We're over here on Q. And we're going, God, where are you? Hey, that rhymed. Okay, okay. Anybody ever been there? I have. Two hands. And if our idea is that Scripture is this formula, and if I just do A and B, C is guaranteed to happen then we're in big trouble. Because that's not how it works. That's not how life works. Hopefully if you're a parent, you're teaching your kid that life's not fair. Alright, you don't always get what you want. And sometimes in Scripture, we can get things lined up, and we can. it seems like, Lord, what's going on? But... But C, maybe, maybe we're, we're thinking Q is supposed to be C. All right? But, but he's saying, no, C is going to be a little bit of sandpaper. C is going to be a little bit of trials. C is going to be me tearing away and doing surgery on you to remove stuff that doesn't look like me so that you can look more like who I am. And when we say A plus B doesn't equal what I say C is, we're in a dangerous place. Because we can very quickly walk away from, from our faith. When we just focus on what we do, we run the risk of missing out on God's best. Because sometimes when we're putting these things together in life and God throws us that curveball, he's seeing, not for his sake because he knows, but he's seeing, will you continue on? Will you continue living the way I want you to live? Or were you just doing things? And we all need that check every once in a while. We start our passage this morning in an interesting place. It's important to remember this. Colossians was a letter. Okay? We've talked about that as an epistle to, to the Colossians. It was a letter written from Paul directed to Colossians. Think about this. Colossians was written from the heart of Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and to be read to the heart of the Colossian people. Okay? It's not a textbook. Uh, it's a letter. At some level, because it's, it's talking to Christian brothers and sisters, a family, there's an element to it that it is a love letter. I love you so much that you need this. And you need it on your heart. It would do us well to remember that, that fact. That it is a letter written to the Colossian uh, people, to their hearts. 
I also believe Paul's intention was not just to get the Colossians to do right things, though that is good and we should want to do the right things. It's not just to check the right boxes, though it's helpful that every once in a while have someone come in our life and analyze and look at those boxes and make sure that we are checking them off. But really he wanted them and he wants us to live in a way that is pleasing to our Savior. And to do that, then we have to do the important work of looking at the context of this passage. I I like what biblical commentator Ben Witherington says. He says, a text without a context is just a pretext for what we want it to mean. How many understand that you can take Scripture and you can use it to do some very horrible things? You don't have to do much of, of research in history to understand that of what that looks like. And I'm not going to go into the details and different things on that, but just know this, you can take Scripture and use it to be damaging in someone's life. And we have to be very careful about how we look at Scripture. We have to be careful that we look for what Scripture is saying rather than looking for Scripture to say what we want it to say or what we're comfortable with it saying or even what is culturally acceptable for it to say. We have to go back and say, what did it mean then? And how is that applicable now? We have to be very careful we don't do that the other way around. I appreciate my brothers who have preached before me. You know, I, you could go back and go all the way back to the beginning. We could kind of do some highlights, but I'm going to go back to, and just touch on a few things. So this has been really neat. It has, it has been incredibly helpful for me developing and formulating this message, sitting and listening to my brothers preach. I drew a few weeks ago talking about that Christ has freed us from cultural expectations. It was Christ's sacrifice alone that secures our position with God. And how he calls us not just into obedience, but into a relationship with him. Drew Drew spoke on those things, and those are so important to remember. As as we begin to work towards the passage we're going to look at today, these, these elements, first and foremost, you point directly back, you look at... Who's it about? It's about Christ. It's not about me. If I'm checking off the to-do boxes, if I'm, I'm, I'm worried about what I'm doing, there's a real danger there that I take Jesus and with good intentions say, get out of the way, buddy. I'm putting me up there. We have to be very careful about that. Kenny followed that up, reminding us that we are indeed a new humanity. I mean, that, that was eye-opening. I, I jotted that down. There's, there's no way that you can live out these verses that we're going to go through today unless you are, number one, part of that new humanity, and two, empowered by the Savior and the Holy Spirit to live out that new human life. There's no way you can do it. So it's great that he, he, he talked about new humanity. He said, our perspective is not that we are the same person we once were, merely with a changed behavior, but rather having been born of God... We change our behavior because we are a different person. We have to grasp that and understand that in order to live out this, this that we're going to look at. We, we have moved from death to life. We who once were children of wrath are now joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We once were slaves to sin and now we are seated in heavenly places. Big difference. 
We are different. Last week, Craig reminded us this. He, he went through a wonderful sermon. He reminded us that, that there are things that we need to put on in our lives. So it's not just a matter of, of just laying back and go, okay, whenever God's going to throw the switch, he'll throw the switch. There is active things that we have to be involved in doing. But, but he told us there are things that we had to put on in our lives if we're going to demonstrate that we are true believers and disciples of Jesus. And these things that we put on, they're not just actions. <clears throat> look, look at these. They're spiritual characteristics that will help us to live like Jesus through the work and the power of the Holy Ghost. He told us, hey, put on compassion. Put on kindness. Put on humility, gentleness, patience, and forgiveness. You know, you, you don't go out and you, you don't say, hey, I compassion today. I gentleness t- today. Okay, okay. Those, are, those are elements and, 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 and principles and characteristics, spiritual things that have to be put on our heart and mind that then the actions flow out of that. And if we don't put these things on, there's no way that we can get the actions right. Well, we've, we've taken a little bit of time here to kind of introduce these concepts and, and go back and flow back and find the flow of this passage and, and, and look at the context. Because we're about to work through an action list. But it's really important today to think this way, not, not to walk out of here today with a checklist of what you need to try to do but with a humble understanding that what this list tells us to do is completely impossible without the help of one another and without the empowering of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can't do these things on our own, but we can't help but do them whenever we are controlled by the Holy Spirit, living out our Holy Father's will. With this in mind, let's, let's, let's look at our text. And I'm going to go ahead and put a disclaimer right here. I'm definitely not going to get past the first two verses. My notes don't take me past the first two. But what I'm trying to do is set up a way of thinking for you to go back into the passage and examine and look and understand and, and chew on this yourselves. You have the Holy Spirit in your life. There's nothing special about me or about anybody who stood up in this pulpit or anybody who will ever stand up in this pulpit that says, hey, we know and understand more than you ever possibly can. Okay, we may have studied more, we may have read more or or whatever, but the same Holy Spirit that resides in me resides in you, and he said that he would teach us truth and he would show us what we need to know, and I'm calling and asking you to, to follow and listen to him as you look in God's word today and hopefully into this week. So hopefully you'll go back and look at this text yourself, see what it means. What does it mean to live out these verses? Not just to do what's there, but to have a life that looks like these verses. All right, so right off the bat, Colossians 3.8, or sorry, 3.18. Wives, submit to your husbands. Okay, time out. It's 2019, almost 2020. What do we do with this, okay? Uh... You know, the idea of submission, it's a little bit of out of date in our culture, right? Um, After all, this is the United States of America. I think everyone knows what our official national anthem is, which is... Nobody knows. Okay. What's that? Come on, somebody say it. My daughter's not here. She knows it. What? 
Star Spangled Banner. All right, so we know what our national anthem is, right? Written by Francis Scott Key. How many know what our unofficial national anthem is? All right, well, it goes a little bit of something like this. Put it up there. I faced it all, and I stood tall, and did it my way. But that ain't biblical. Neat song. Captures the American spirit of an individual overcoming the odds and doing what it took to get to the top of life. But you won't ever find something like that in the Bible. You see, we're not called to do things our way. We're called things to do things His way. And we can only do that when we are completely and fully surrendered to do what He calls us to do. To be what He calls us to be. You know, part of our struggle with this passage really is how we view the word submission. How many guys, when you say submission, you're like thinking MMA, right? Okay. All right, submission hold. What what happens with a submission hold? One person overpowers and dominates the other and causes so much pain in their life that the other says, I would rather stop to make it go away. That's not what we're talking about, okay? That is not what submission is. And we have to be careful that we don't think along those lines. All right, this is how we see submission. The world tells us that submission means one person dominating the other to get their way. Now let me ask yourself this, okay? Okay, we understand Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is ultimately, even though it's written by Paul through the Spirit, there's ultimately a message from God for us. Does that look like God to you? No. So, so when we think submission, we had better put a big, you know, red circle with a line through it on what that looks like, because that's not what it is. In fact, Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Okay, go, go through your, your, your gospel memory banks, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the stories... You know, some of you go all the way back like me to the flannel graph days. Other use of, of more like uh, VeggieTale days. Okay, uh, do you do you ever see Jesus acting like this? Remember that time he tackled Peter and punched him in the face for no, n- n- not there. Okay. Well, there's that one time, I mean, he did, well, a couple times actually. He went through the temple and he cleaned out of the temple, got a couple of cords, was flipping tables. Well, my answer to that is this. It's his house, right? What were they doing in his house? Some major unethical, unbiblical, not honoring to the Father practices. And I hope if you came home one day after work and found someone running a business out of your living room that was unethical and wrong, you'd run them out of your house too. Think about the Gospels for a moment. Think about Jesus' interactions with people. The maniac at Gadara. How about 
the woman at the well? What about the people who were crippled and considered outcasts? What about the, the lepers that no one wanted to go near, much less touch? What words would you say characterize the attitude and ministry of who Jesus was? Love, humility, compassion, forgiveness. If these sound really familiar, it's because Craig preached on them last week. And that's what we're called to as well. Sometimes we want to be this guy, but we don't have a right to be that guy. So when Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and remember this, the Holy Spirit's main job is to point people to Jesus Christ. So Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. It is an incredibly powerful statement. It is not calling the wife to be into a forced subjection. It's not calling the husband to bring her to a place of submission, but it is calling her to be a reflection of Jesus. The one who, according to Philippians, who Paul also wrote, he wrote this about Jesus, that he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. He later wrote that he humbled himself. So when we look at this passage here that says, wives submit to your husbands as fitting to the Lord, or fitting in the Lord, When scripture calls wives to submit to their husbands, it is not a call to be less of a human, but to be more like Christ. And when when wives understand that, and when husbands understand that, it's a humbling and beautiful thing. It can't be an ugly thing. When we understand that it is a picture and reflection of what Jesus has already demonstrated and lived out himself. In the ancient world, women were greatly disvalued. They were, were overpowered. They were dominated by women or by men. They, they, in many ways, especially those that were slaves, were looked at as property. They were considered less than. They were something to be used for personal gratification. So when Paul's writing this, he's actually telling women, no, you are not powerless, but you are actually powerful. But I'm calling you not to use that, to leverage that for your own strength and to fight back, but to, as I did, or as Jesus did, to lay that power down. He's calling wives to be like Jesus. Now guys, before we get carried here away here, let's talk about what this means for us. If our wives are called to submit, then we must never put ourselves in a position to force submission out of our wives. Okay, how many understand uh, you don't go through your, your neighbor's mailbox and just like randomly start opening stuff, right? What, what is that? Do we have any postal workers in here? That's a felony, right? Okay, that's a, that's a problem. Okay, a, a lot of, if you get caught doing that, it's a problem. And a lot of times we run into problems here because we start trying to open each other's mail here. 
Paul's writing something to wives, and some, a lot of times guys, and I've been guilty of this too, is like, yeah, come on! Not your mail. Go to your mailbox. You got your own letter. All right, and, and we're, we're going to get into what that letter means as well, because it's got a lot of work for us to do as men. Besides, if we are forcing someone into submission, I mean, it, 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 that, that's not really ultimately submission. We talked about that being a submission hold. We saw the picture. But really, that, that idea is subjugation. All right? It, it's forcing someone to surrender. And honestly, if it's ongoing, all right, if it's ongoing and co- co- coercive, all right, that gets into the level of being abusive. And that is, is just absolutely wrong. There's nothing, nothing about Scripture that is abusive to, towards someone. And there's nothing like what Paul is trying to communicate with this passage. You see, submission isn't submission unless it is voluntary. You know, this passage is not a bat, okay? We, we like to use Scripture as a bat, right? You, you ever use Scripture to pound somebody to get, to get something you know, out of them? All right, well, the Bible says, wham! Once again, we go back, that's not like Christ, is it? And if you're using Scripture to leverage behavior out of someone, stop. That's not your job. You have now stepped into the Holy Spirit's role. He's the one that works and and changes lives. He's the one that changes hearts. We can't do it. All we can do is beat someone into submission. And that is completely unbiblical and unchristlike, isn't it? We are not to use Scripture like a bat. Wives have their message. Men, we have our message. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Put the bat down. Isn't it interesting? You know, you, you read through several of these passages and, and, and you, you find some, some really strong follow-ups to the men. You, you'll come back and find this with fathers as well. Don't provoke your children to wrath. You talk about uh, um, masters being kind to, the, to their, their bond slaves. It's almost like Paul gets men. Well, he was one, obviously. He, he really gets it. Hey, wives, her husband loves your wives and don't be harsh with them. That's a strong statement, isn't it? That implies that they're probably already being harsh with them. We've got to be very careful about that. You want your wife to submit to her? Love her. You want to know what love looks like? Begin looking deeply into the life of Jesus. How did Jesus love? He was welcoming. He was gentle. He was kind. He gave people his time, his attention. He hurt with them. He listened to them. He gave his best to those who came across his path. And ultimately think about this. He endured beatings, mocking, shame, and excruciating pain to his mind, soul, and body as he willingly laid down his life on the cross. As he had nails driven through his hands and his feet, as he was suspended in front of all those people there that were mocking him, There he was, carrying our sin, feeling the wrath of God the Father, suffering in our place. Why? Because he loved us. And husband, this is the love you are called to give your wife. 
it's impossible for me to be focused on loving like this and at the same time be a tyrant toward my wife. We got a lot to look at, husbands. We don't have time to be opening our wives' mail. We got a lot to work on ourselves. To love like this is going to require that I be focused on and reflecting the love of my Savior. And that's not possible without understanding who Christ is and what he has done for us. So what we are being called to in this passage, it's impossible to fake or to do in our own power or in our flesh. It's going to take two people who are fully committed to Christ and fully committed to one another. And it's impossible any other way. Now, all of us at times, when our humanity wins the day, and it will, okay? When humanity wins the day, and we don't submit as we are called to do, and we don't love with the depth of the love that Christ demonstrated for us, in these moments, we need to apply the healing balm of grace and forgiveness to one another. That being said, none of us are called to live in a state of abuse. Abuse is one person using their power to manipulate and control another to take what they want from that person. An abusive person looks at others as being for them, to fulfill them, to fulfill their desires. And this in no way is condoned by Scripture. And if you're in a relationship and you are experiencing abuse, then you need to know that you have a safe place here. You need to know that leadership will listen. We don't have all the answers. I'll tell you that as well up front. We don't have all the answers. But you do need to know this, and we will, I believe every single elder, every single leader here would would shout this from the mountaintops, that abuse is anti-biblical. It is the opposite of godly. And we as a church family are called to protect one another from the abusive oppressor. Like I said, I, I gave you the disclaimer up front. We're really on a, only going to cover a couple of verses here. I want you to go back and look through this mindset uh, of how these other passages play out. And we're going to read them right now. And I just want to touch on three things that I think we can, we can get out of this passage. But let's go ahead together to Colossians 3, verses 18. And we're going to finish up at 4, verse 1. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. And do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Very quickly, I just want to touch on three points. Number one, we are not called to have power over but power under. We are not called 
to have power over, but power under. There is one who has power over, the sovereign Lord. If we're fighting for a position, if we're fighting to, to, to get our place at the front of the pecking order, if we're tr- fighting to control, if we're fighting to get our way, it looks nothing like, what, like, like godliness. Think about this, Matthew 20, 25-28, Jesus says this, But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Talking about power, talking about their status, their position. And the great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. So we are not called to have power over, but power under. We are called to serve. We are called to influence. We are called to be burden bearers. We are called to come alongside. We are not called to dominate, to subjugate, to force into submission, to step on people, to use people. We are called to love Number two, our lives are not only to be lived for others, but ultimately for the Lord. Look through this passage later on this week, and just look at the different phrases. In the Lord, pleases the Lord, fearing the Lord, as for the Lord, you are serving the Lord Christ. Over and over and over again. Where does it redirect these back to? Not to me, the macho husband. No, to the Lord. And that's who I'm supposed to be reflecting. That's why I don't have time to worry about your submission. I'm way out of line, constantly. So I've got to get back in my mail and figure out what I've got to fix about me so that I can be what I'm supposed to be. So our lives are not only to be lived for others, but ultimately for the Lord. Number three, this. When we move on in maturity past what to do and into how to live, our lives will begin making an eternal impact. And isn't that ultimately where we want to be, is making an eternal impact? And you can't do that on your own. We must do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. With that in mind, let's, let's, we're going to move into a time of communion. We focus on the, the elements of the Lord's Supper. Yes, this is something we do, but what does it call us to? It calls us back to something that Christ did for us. Not so that we could go on and live how we wanted to, but that we can live now for Him. We're reminded of what Jesus did for us. We're reminded of why He did it. You know, it was His love that took Him to the cross that allowed Him to say, I will have my body be broken for you. He didn't do it because it was a neat idea or it was just the thing to do. But he, his great love for us to make us that new humanity, to restore us back to that fellowship that he so desperately wanted when he created man in the Garden of Eden. 
So he, it allowed his body to be broken. His love was demonstrated when his blood was poured out for us. So this is something we do, but it's so much more than what we do. It is a time for us to reflect and think, how are we living? And we can kind of look at what we do to see what's, what's flowing out of that. It's a time for us to reassess, to adjust, to think, to confess, to repent, to readjust, to realign. It was his love that shed his blood for our sins in our place so that we can live the abundant life that he has called us to live. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26 tells us, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night which he was betrayed, took bread, and we had, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, there's a couple of things that I want us to remember this morning that are very important. Number one, this is for believers. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you have not made him Lord of your life, I respectfully ask you, please don't participate. No one will judge you. Uh, in fact, if you can't participate, I hope that you will speak to someone today. You can speak to me, one of the elders, anybody with the, one of the name tags on. We can get you directed to someone that can talk to you and tell you more about what this is, what this Lord's Supper means, what this entire passage we're talking about means, and why we, we look at it and live, at it, live it, even when it doesn't sometimes make sense to us. We want to talk to you about that. Scripture can, can tell you how you can know Jesus is Lord and Savior. The Lord's Supper is a solemn act of worship, and it's between a body of believers and their Savior, Jesus Christ. Another thing that I want us to remember is this. Taking part of this is not part of our salvation. It is an act of worship, but it is not part of our salvation. This, there's nothing special about this bread. In fact, it's gluten-free, and Helen picked it up at the store this week. Okay, there, there's, there's nothing special about it. What it is is an opportunity for us to remember what our sins cost, our Savior. And in doing so, help us to live out our faith. At this time, I'm going to ask, we have several men that are going to come forward and serve, elders, deacons, um, some other young men, each one of them um, leaders or upcoming leaders in our body. They're going to come and serve you the bread once they serve the bread, we will pray, and they, then we will serve the cup. During this time right now, while they're coming around and serving, take some time to reflect and think. And if the Lord puts something on your heart and mind that needs to be confessed, do it now. Take it to the Lord.
Thank you, gentlemen. As we take a look at this piece of bread, let's remember what it symbolizes. The body of Christ that was broken for us. Father, we can't imagine what it must have been like for you to see your son on crucifixion day. To watch what he endured. Which was nothing compared to the ugliness and wretchedness of our sins. Which he carried on his body. Thank you for your body. Help us to remember that. We get careless. We get cavalier. I get out of kilter, off focused. Far too many times I'm more concerned and impressed with me than I am with you. Father, forgive us for that and help us to take these moments to look at your body and think of what it went through for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
This cup is the new covenant, Jesus said, in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The Gospels tell us that after the, that first Lord's Supper, they sung a hymn. I asked Matt and the worship team to come forward. I do need to make one announcement. I apologize. I meant to do this earlier in the service, and it, it slipped my mind. I do want you to be in prayer about this. We did have to put the old building back on the market. Um, we did have the sale fall through. The gentleman is still interested. Uh, the concern is he's trying to, to move in and make that his residence and then build out. Um, some apartments and things. He couldn't get the right insurance cover, uh, coverage, so we're working on that. Pray that it sells. There are a few others that may be interested in it as well, but pray that that sells this week. Be in prayer on that. Thank you so much. So after that first uh, Lord's Supper, they, they came and sang a hymn. May you leave today not just focused on what to do, but how you live.